Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. If we can figure out how to do that in this one little area, we can act as something like a you know, little laboratory to have this experiment so that then other people can look at it and go, oh, see what they're doing in New Hampshire. It seems like it's working. Maybe we should do that here. What's up, Liberty LARPers? (laughs) That's a phrase I just recently learned from uh, my good pal, Chris Spangle, sometimes used to jokingly reference the group of people we're going to be talking about in just a minute, the fine folks up in New Hampshire as a part of the Free State Project. I'll be talking to the president of the Free State Project in just a minute. First, I want to remind you, Chris Spangle is actually a part of a brand new podcast that we've put together called The League of Liberty. It features myself, Chris Spangle of We Are Libertarians, Roger Paxson of the Lava Flow podcast, and Johnny Rocket Adams of the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Together, we have formed The League of Liberty, a monthly podcast that is only available to people who support one of our four shows. So if you can, you can of course support our program by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride for as little as five bucks a month. You get access to all the exclusive audio we put out there, which now includes not only the League of Liberty, the Conspiracy Corner, a bunch of random rants uh, now and again from Brian McWilliams, John Oder, Matt, or myself, but we also have a few other regular shows. We've got the G- Degenerate Gamblers show with uh, John and Rico, and then we've also got Brian teaming up with our good friend Dan Smots to bring you some weekly South Park recap. So we have just a plethora of bonus content. Again, as little as five bucks a month gets you access to all of it by going over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. With me today is the president of the Free State Project, a movement to bring liberty-minded people to the state of New Hampshire. I'm very pleased to welcome Matt Phillips. Matt, are you ready to roar? <laughs> <coughs> He's trying. He's trying, folks. <laughs> the inside joke there is I'm just getting over a cough. So, hi. How you doing, Matt? I'm really good. It's good to be here. And I, ho- I, I don't think you're quite as as under the weather as it sounded from for the from the roar attempt. But I, I knew I do have some insider knowledge from you that you've been <laughs> a little sick. You've had a bad cough, but you are a trooper. You are a trooper for liberty, and you are going to plow through this thing with us today. Yep, absolutely. Very excited. So, like I said, you know, you're you're plowing through a sickness to talk about liberty, and you actually moved from Arizona, the beautiful hot sun of Arizona, all the way to New Hampshire to join the Free State Project. So, there's no doubt that you are passionate about this, passionate enough to leave the, the beautiful weather, the wonderful sun of Arizona, to the uh, slightly more brisk winters of New Hampshire. So, I I think it's very clear you have a lot of passion for this, and I I want to first find out what what actually makes your liberty clock tick, so to speak. So, why don't you tell me a little bit? first about how you became interested in politics and the ideas of liberty and how you eventually found yourself as a member of the Free State Project, not just a member, the president. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot uh, a lot to cover there. There is a um, lot. So I grew up in Arizona. Um, and of course, anyone who whose excuse for not having moved to New Hampshire yet is that they couldn't possibly deal with the weather. I say, I don't want to hear it. I put on uh, long underwear, you know, starting in October, November, and it, it's fine, really. It's only one of my excuses, but it, it uh, is uh, one of them. <laughs> yeah, you, you Californians are a little bit of a tougher bunch to, uh, to crack on that. But um, 
So I grew up in Arizona, um, and then I left uh, there in the early 90s. I went to uh, Princeton University, where I got a degree in politics. I um, actually wrote my uh, senior thesis on cryptography and privacy. Um, so there's a lot of definitely some interesting things going on uh, in that world uh, these days. Um, in between my junior and senior year in, in college, I did a, a summer internship at Cato Institute in uh, D.C., and uh, one of my fellow interns actually was Jason Sorens. Uh, who a couple years later in 2001 uh, penned a short article, online article, saying, hey, instead of libertarians losing everywhere all the time, why don't we try to concentrate our efforts in a single low population U.S. state and see if we can't um, get, get some things done? So he wrote that in 2001. I, after graduating, had uh, moved to New York City where I was working uh, in the uh, online uh, advertising technology sector. And uh, I was just uh, co-founded co a company uh, there in, in 2003, which was when the Free Stater movement was just picking up steam and they had gotten enough people to sign up that they had chosen New Hampshire as the, uh, the ultimate destination for the Free State Project. Uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's great. I can't deal with that right now. I'm, I'm starting a, a business. So I promptly forgot about it for about 10 years. And then in uh, 2007, I, the company I'd... Uh, helped found, I got bought by Yahoo. So I left New York City, took some time off, traveled around, saw the world, learned to shoot. Well, the only problem with that is that then you end up with Yahoo stock. So I had to get rid of that as soon as I could. Uh, they just came out uh, yesterday or today, by the way, did you see this? It turns out, in fact, all 3 billion of their user accounts were in fact affected by the, the breach from uh, what, last year, I guess it was. Yeah, I don't do much on Yahoo outside of uh, fantasy sports, so hopefully too, not too I don't know much of my does, security was really. breached, but yeah, yeah, pretty sure that's all anybody does there, but anyway. So yeah, no, that was a lot of fun, and um, so I traveled around and uh, spent some time trying to decide what I wanted to do next, came back to politics, started reading a little bit. I read Machinery of, of Freedom by, uh, by David Friedman. I read For a New Liberty by Murray Rothbard, and... Um, all of the sort of, you know, I had spent time at Cato and I was, you know, could argue the philosophy, but wasn't fully, completely bought and sold on it. Um, you know, feeling like, uh, I'm not sure if we can ever get there. But anyway, reading a couple of- The Cato books, guys didn't make you hardcore, huh? Well, the Cato guys definitely didn't make me hardcore. The uh, fellow <laughs> interns like Jason Soren and stuff, uh, you know, the conversations we were having amongst ourselves, I think, right. were probably more hardcore. Um, but anyway- um, Diving back into that world, I, you know, I think a lot of libertarians have this experience where suddenly it all clicks, you know, like it all, it all gels and crystallizes and suddenly you're like, oh, yes, of course. Okay, it's all now internally consistent and self-supporting and it all makes sense to me. I get it now. Was there any one moment for you where, where that kind of, you had that revelation, that, that click moment or was it just sort of a gradual thing and one day you're like, okay, I'm in? Well, I think... A part of it was I just, I, you know, I, I think we always, we always have this transition problem, right? Of how do we, okay, that's nice. I can, I can, I can uh, describe for you a libertarian utopian paradise where the roads could be built by private uh, investors and the um, natural resources could be protected by, you know, consortias of, of landowners uh, where um, police could be done privately you know, based on blah, 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 blah. But then we have the transition problem of, okay, well, that's nice, but how do we get there from here? It seems so daunting. There's so many entrenched interests and, in, in, you know, the government is so, seems so big and, and 
has so many arms. And it's not a small point. I mean, that, that's one of the biggest criticisms you hear of libertarianism. I mean, I'll find a lot of people where I'll explain the philosophy and they'll sort of be on board. They'll say like, that sounds wonderful. But then you get the but, but that's never going to happen. But that's unrealistic. To them, it's like a, an interesting science fiction novel you're telling them about, but it's, it doesn't represent anything that can be real. Right. And so I think reading Machinery of Freedom helped me to really understand some of more of those like, well, how it could possibly work um, that I hadn't really fully considered before. And then I think the rest of it was just me deciding that instead of, you know, I don't know, living on a sailboat and floating around the Caribbean or something that I actually wanted to do something meaningful and worthwhile and, and that I could use my skills and my my interests, but that would fulfill a deeper sense of meaning for me that I could look back on at the end of my life and say, all right, I did something that was cool and I maybe made a dent in the, uh, you know, in the problem. So when did you uh, make the decision to to sign that pledge? And we'll talk a little more about the pledge in a second, but uh, basically the, the first step of the Free State Project is getting 20,000 people to agree to this pledge, essentially agreeing that once the trigger is hit, which I believe the number was 20,000, once 20,000 people agreed to the move, that the move would be triggered. And, and the move was actually triggered last year. So we'll talk about that in a bit. But what, what made you first decide, okay, I'm going to sign this pledge. I'm going to make the commitment to move to New Hampshire and be a part of this. So I actually signed in 2003 before New Hampshire was chosen. Because, wow. um, you know, I knew about it back then and I was sort of following along a little bit and I was like, yeah, this is, you know, that's interesting. And that then was, that's what it was just really a, 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 not an esoteric concept, a real concept from, from Jason Sorens, but it wasn't certified in terms of the location or anything like that. It was just kind right. of, here's my idea. Who would, who will get on board with this with me? And I'm sure a lot of people back then who signed were like, yeah, 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 sure. This will know. never happen. But I'll just sign the thing. And right. <laughs> Um, and that's kind of what happened with me, right? For 10 years, I signed it. They picked New Hampshire. I was really busy at that point. I was like, okay, whatever, I'll deal. I'll think about it later. And then I did it for a long time. But then I started, you know, reengaging with politics and I started thinking maybe I should go to some different political events and, and conferences and stuff and kind of just see what's going on in the liberty movement. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really involved in like the, either of the Ron Paul campaigns, um, so I, I was sort of dormant during that that period. When you say not involved, do you, do you mean that you just weren't politically active or were you yeah. not even paying attention to the Ron Paul stuff at all? Um, I, I wasn't really paying attention to it. You know, I was sort of like, oh, you know, Ron Paul's great, but he'll never, you know, uh, he'll obviously never win. And so, you know, what's the point? Because your, your libertarian foundations were already there, whereas for many people, I think Ron Paul served as that spark to first get well, them interested in the ideas. <clears throat> And, and and in retrospect, he obviously, I mean, he did a fantastic job of that. And and a lot of the free staters that we have living here now actually came here in either 2008 or 2012 with the campaign um, or, or really just more like, you know, as, as deadheaders um, to, you know, to sort of hang out and be near it. Um, and they ended up staying here because they then learned about the Free State Project. So the Free State Project owes a, you know, enormous debt of gratitude. Um, to Dr. Paul, not just for, um, you know, his life's work of, of educating people about the principles and the ideas, but specifically for being active here in New Hampshire, which of course is the first in the nation primary, uh, you know, battleground state, um, and drawing a lot of libertarians here during his two campaigns who ended up staying. So there's definitely a connection there uh, for the Free State Project. I just wasn't, you know, yeah, I was traveling around. I was like, you know, think, you know, Bush, Obama, who cares? Uh, it's never going to get better or whatever. So 
Fast forward to 2013, and I, can't, I was like, okay, well, I'll go check out Liberty Forum, which is the Free State Project annual winter event in February. And uh, 2013, I showed up not having any idea what to expect and um, was completely blown away by being in, you know, 500 people in a room, um, you know, many of whom were open carrying and so much excitement and buzz and momentum and activism. And I was just like, oh my God, like this is actually happening. Uh, you know, it's on. And I was like, okay, maybe I should actually, this is a crazy thought, but maybe I should actually think about moving here, you know, sometime in the next several years, like maybe as they get closer to actually getting 20,000 signers. You want to be one of the people on the ground. I mean, a lot of people on that, that signed that pledge, they're waiting for the trigger, but there's a lot of people like yourself, like Roger Paxton, who uh, first recommended you to me, you know, that moved there ahead of time to sort of start building that base before, before the official trigger was made. Yeah. And I was, you know, at that point I wasn't really even thinking like before or after the trigger, it didn't matter. Um, so I came back for pork fest, which is our, you know, annual summer event, porcupine freedom festival. I came back for that. And then interestingly, it wasn't actually till freedom fest in Vegas. I met a couple of the free staters who had traveled there for that event. Uh, one of whom had a similar background to me. He was, you know, serial entrepreneur and he was, uh, you know, getting politically inactive because his entrepreneurship was being infe- affected by, uh, you know, Obamacare and by uh, Dodd-Frank and, and uh, you know, stuff like that. So he was like, if I want to be successful as an entrepreneur, I first have to like enter the political arena to try and like clear the, you know, the field so I can actually do what I want to do. And after that, I was like, you know, I think by September, yes, early, late September of 2013, I was, I'd moved here. I, I was like, why wait? I'm going to just go and be part of this amazing thing and do what I can to actually get it off the ground. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, I mean, when people moved to the, to New Hampshire, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe in your case, did you have like any kind of career lined up? Any, anything other than the idea that I just want to move here, get there and help set this up, help be, be a part of this community and kind of figure it out from there. So I'm certainly unusual in that I didn't have to worry about a lot of that. I also, you know, didn't have a, you know, family or kids. Um, you know, I traveled pretty light, uh, you know, being a world traveler at that point. And so I didn't have to worry about, you know, a, a, a lot of that. And to some degree, it was like, you know, if I move and it's not working out or I'm not happy there or whatever, it's like, I'll just move on to the next place. It's okay. So I didn't have, I didn't have, you know, have to face a lot of those challenges. A lot of people have to face where they've got to, you know, find a job and pull their kids out of school and convince their significant other is often a, a big hurdle, um, you know, for hardcore libertarians who are with somebody who is libertarian, but doesn't feel like picking up and moving to New Hampshire, you know, for it. Um, so that can definitely be, be a challenge. Some of those are mitigated in part by the fact that we have the lowest unemployment rate in the country. So it's not that hard to find a job here. And I think that, you know, I think that the thing that really, and we'll probably get into this a little bit more, um, the thing that really gets people here to, in the first place, and then, you know, keeps them here is just this community, right? It's this active, vibrant, growing community of, of libertarian activists um, and when you come here for one of our events, that's like people don't really grok what's going on here <laughs> until you can 
come to Porkfest and be with 1,500 other really hardcore, uh, not just libertarians, but activists who are actually doing stuff. They're running for office. They're starting businesses. They're, you know, they're, they've got their kids in school and they're talking to the other parents about, you know, what's going on. I think this is why Roger Paxton has uh, invited all the Lions of Liberty up to Porkfest. That's his, it's part of his secret plan to uh, enamor us and, and convince us that, that this is what we need to do. It's definitely a, a little bit of a, uh, a, a, a you know, a, a secret uh, lure that we have. Um, and, you know, you go there thinking, oh, I'm going to go to this event and it's going to be great, like all these other events I go to. And then you realize it's something completely different, which is an actual permanent community, like intentional community. And even, I always say this, but <clears throat> even if we never changed another law or reduced a single tax or got rid of uh, you know some regulation you have the ability to move here and take advantage of being part of this community like today like if you move today you're part of this community and it's really hard to oversell it how valuable that is and how impactful that is for people's lives you know like the number of people who come here and they're like oh my god i found my tribe like it just happens all the time. And that's so, great, especially because it is so difficult to move to a new city. You know, it's, it's hard to move to a new place. I, I moved to Los Angeles 14 years ago, and I, I had a couple of people out here that I knew, so that certainly helped. But still, you feel lost when you first move somewhere new generally because you just don't have, even if you have a few friends, you don't have a sense of community. You don't have that, that you know, that community that you naturally build in your lifetime. It takes time to build that up. And right. it sounds like a great thing about the, the Free State Project is you already have a community that's there waiting for you with literally with open arms waiting to welcome you in and make you a part of it well and we have move in, these move-in parties all the time where somebody shows up with a u-haul it's you know stacked to the gills with all of their stuff and they're not looking forward to spending the next two three days you know humping it all out of the back into their into their new house where they're settling no that sounds terrible <laughs> but they buy, you know, you buy a couple of pizzas and some beers and 20 people will show up and have your truck unloaded in 45 minutes. Like, where do you want it? Mary Poppins style. And you're like, oh, my God, I, 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 I don't even know what to say. Like, um, this happens all the time. I don't time. remember that scene in Mary Poppins where she bought everyone pizza and beer. But <laughs> well, it's but more reason. about the room cleaning scene. But uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so. Yeah, it's really hard to, to, to oversell this, this community. And then, of course, there's all of the other stuff that's going on. Um, and I don't know if you want to jump right into that. but um, Jump wherever you like, my man. All right. So um, here's a list that I've been trying to memorize, and I can't because there's too many, too many things on it. So I'm going to read it a little bit. But here is a list of legislative accomplishments. So just so far this year, 2017, in New Hampshire, you know, some credit to these go to uh, free staters and, and free stater activists. Uh, a lot of it is is you know people who you know conservatives or coalitions of different groups you know in the state house, um, and I should also add uh, by the way the Free State Project itself is a 501c3 nonprofit and we do not um, comment or take a stand on active uh, legislation or political candidates. And that's essentially for legal purposes because of the status of of the organization itself. Right, and so all of these these pieces of legislation I'm mentioning th th you know, these are not active; they've already been been passed. Right. And the, while, while it's not the Free State Project drafting the legislation, uh, obviously many of the people who are members of the group are very active in getting the stuff passed. Right. And I should also just point out that we don't technically don't have members. Again, this is you know legal requirement. We right. have participants. So anyway, so on to the, the list. Feds happy on this show. Yes, exactly. So uh, constitutional carry, which is, you know, permitless concealed uh, weapon carry. 
uh, is now illegal in, in New Hampshire. And I know you want to talk about guns. We can do that a little bit later. Cannabis decrim of up to three quarters of an ounce. Uh, expanded medical marijuana in, to include moderate chronic pain and PTSD. We deregulated cryptocurrencies from state financial regulation. We banned warrantless use of cell phone trackers like the Stingray, provided immunity for uh, people who were calling in 911 about overdoses, legalized home poker games, exempted hair braiders from occupational licensing. We legalized firecrackers, needle exchanges, brew pubs can make cider. Uh, and uh, the, one of the big ones, school choice for towns without public schools. Uh, the governor just... Uh, axed 1,600 mostly obsolete regulations, and uh, three state reps switched to the Libertarian Party if you use that as some sort of metric. Now, that, that is a, an interesting one, because uh, I believe it was, what, was it like one, two Republicans and a Democrat? Yeah, exactly. Can you tell me a little bit more about, about those switches? Were those people who were sort of like, I don't know, covertly infiltrating the Democrat and Republican parties just because that is, um, you know, an easier way to actually get elected? Or were they people that, you know, got elected on their own and sort of got won over by the, the libertarians? In these cases, I don't know them all uh, super well, um, but I know that in at least one, the case of the Democrat, um, he's sort of a um, new to liberty kind of uh, philosophy um, and and has I guess spent some time talking to some of the other you know Liberty folks in the state house and finally decided you know had that moment like that we talked about earlier where it's like oh you know I guess I do kind of agree with a lot of that um, and I think he was getting a little sick of of the Democrat um, party um, you know not really standing up for the ideals that they claim they do in their platform and so he was ready to make a big switch. Um, I, I can't speak to the, the two other Republicans, although I think one of them is in a sort of a similar boat. I mean, everybody does this. Uh, I think Democrats uh, or Republicans, I think uh, sometimes you got to look at where you live and you know what's realistic in order to get elected. A lot of free staters will pick one of those parties out of, you know, for the sake of convenience. You know, so we do have some that are elected as Democrats. A lot, a lot of them are elected as Republicans. In fact, the Republican Speaker of the House uh, just basically called on the state Republican Party to distance itself from from free staters and the Free State Project, um, saying no free stater could also be a Republican, which is you know the irony of which is that uh, he's <laughs> quite ironic for what uh, you know Republicans are in theory supposed to stand for. Well, that uh, not just that, but the fact the Republican Party in New Hampshire is extraordinarily libertarian uh, in its not just what it says it does, but what in what it actually does and what it actually supports. You know, that list of things that I just read, that was what happens when you get a Republican Senate, Republican House and a Republican governor uh, all, you know, play, you know, working off the same playbook. With a, a good liberty contingent who's, who's, you know, pushing them to do some things along right. the way. No, the irony is that the Speaker of the House is, um, you know, all of those things were sort of in spite of him. So uh, I, I don't want to comment too much more on, on that, but. Uh, let's just say it was, it was good press, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I do want to talk about constitutional carry in one second, but there's one thing you mentioned in that list there that, that stood out to me as being a little interesting, and uh, the fact that brew pubs can now make ciders. So previously to this year, brew pubs could make all sorts of beers, but not ciders? There, there's a lot of weird rules um, that, you know, we will pass a law and it's like, yay, and they're like, wait, what? We had to get rid of a law about that? What? I don't even understand. Home poker is always the one that to me was like, wait, there was a law banning people from playing poker in their own home? Yep. And in fact, about half of the states have a law that bans uh, various you know, gambling games in, in, in private homes. In your own home. In your own That's home. Wild. Yeah. 
Um, so yes, uh, I guess brew pubs couldn't make cider before. Uh, we actually just had a, 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 I know somebody who tried to start a, you know, a place that was going to brew kombucha and the, basically the, the state regulators came in and they were like, uh, no, that's illegal. And they're like, there's no law against it. And they're like, that means that it's not regulated and it's illegal. It's like, what? So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, of laws that are out there, I think. And I think this is the thing is sometimes you look at a list like this and you're like, oh, New Hampshire, you have all these silly laws. It's like, I challenge you. So everyone's got them. Everyone's, every state has uh, ridiculous rules. And I guarantee you that most states are way worse than New Hampshire. You know, back in the 17, 1800s, and uh, when things were a lot different, a lot of weirdo busybodies passed a lot of laws. And uh, even though we don't think about them anymore, a lot of them are still there. A lot of them are still there. And a lot of them are still enforced to one degree or another. And it's almost worse when they're just sort of arbitrarily, you know, enforced, like some prosecutors looking for something they can throw at you. And they're like, oh, here's this obscure rule that nobody knew, even knew existed. And we don't, you know, we only selectively enforce it. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty. Rock and roll. All right, so uh, moving on to the constitutional carry, uh, you know, that is something that I think that and, – and that's basically – which means you don't need a permit. You don't need a, a, a permission from the state government to purchase a firearm. That is certainly not the case where I live in California. Uh, there are many people out there, probably not many listeners of this program, but maybe a few, who would be taken aback by that idea. I mean even a lot of pro-gun people who are not libertarians who I know will say, well, of course you should get a, a government license at least. Of course you should have to take X number of courses first. I mean that a basic safety course or something like that. And I'm totally in favor of people taking safety courses, but, you know, taking a safety course and having a, a stringent government requirement are, are very different things. So can you just explain a little bit of why people should not necessarily fear the idea of constitutional carry, fear the idea of people, especially, you know, this week? I mean, I'm hearing it everywhere that, uh, you know, how much the government needs more and more gun laws. And then I've, I've yet to hear a specific proposal because most uh, anti-gun proponents don't really have a, a well-thought-out proposal uh, as far as I know. But, you know, there, there is a general fear, I think, especially around times like this after the incident in Las Vegas where, you know, there the 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 hype and the hyperbole over guns is just at an all-time high. So, uh, so many people are, are looking to pass gun laws that the idea of actually having an area where you don't need any government permission or record of, of a gun purchase is probably very shocking to a lot of people who are not libertarians. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And and there's a bunch of, of uh, aspects that we just you just covered there in, in your question. Uh, I mean, New Hampshire, you know, we've been pushing for this for a long time, and it was a de you know, Democrat governors that kept blocking it for many years. And and just this year, we finally. Joined I think we're up to 10 or 11 other states now that, that all have this. 
to varying degrees or, or you know one one degree or another you know in new hampshire for the longest time it was you know 10 days uh, sorry 14 days ten dollars no prints and you know shall issue and we still have that so that if you want to get a permit so that you can go to a neighboring state and and have it be respected um you you know you still can do that which actually makes it better than next door vermont where they just don't have any gun laws at all um and so you you can't actually do that um but yeah i think that the this gets back to a little bit to the transition issue that we were talking about earlier, right? Where, um, I, you know, I, I certainly want, uh, you know, I think that if a gun owner is going to be responsible, uh, you know, either owning or, or certainly carrying a gun that getting, you know, taking the appropriate you know, level of, of safety courses so that you know how to responsibly and safely, uh, you know, store and, and handle uh, your weapon, particularly, um, in a self-defense situation, um, if you're, if you're carrying it, uh, around with you every day, um, that's definitely something that should be done. And I, you know, I don't want to be hanging out with people who are carrying guns who haven't done that. Uh, I don't think it should be a government requirement, but we don't have the alternative social institutions in place to be able to say, um, you know, I, I only want to go to a grocery store that, you know, allows people to, to, you know, prefers people to carry their guns, uh, with a certain minimum level of training and you know, maybe insurance is, is part of the, the picture there and an insurance company could be, you know, could help responsible gun owners to figure out, you know, what level of, of training would be appropriate. The point being kind of that, that, you know, when we've always lived or not always, but you know, in all of our lives lived in a highly regulated society and then you remove the regulations, you're not going to see, you know, the next day, you know, new right. situations, especially when the rest of the country is still largely at least has a minimal level of gun regulation. But, you know, in a society, society without any of that, there are still going to be a lot of institutions that crop up that do influence the way individuals act, the way individuals behave. And uh, I think insurance would be a big part of that. I know a lot of people have written uh, in very in depth about about the role of insurance that would likely play in a more free society. Uh, but, you know, you would have insurance that, like you said, might require that certain stores don't allow gun owners. Uh, other Others might say it's fine uh and and that kind of thing would would happen all over the place so it's not like you would not necessarily see a free-for-all although uh, i think uh, in a free society a a free-for-all in the sense of the ability for people to purchase guns uh without being stopped by the government ahead of time ahead of any quote potential crime i think in general that that's the the right direction to go despite the fact that especially out here with uh, my comrades in california most people are, are not really akin to that idea right now yeah and i think i think you know one thing you can guarantee is that if you do have, you know, overly onerous uh, regulations, then you, you aren't, aren't going to get those sorts of innovative, creative solutions to um, issues of how do individuals voluntarily, you know, transact and trust each other to be able to do those transactions. Um, So uh, the only, the only way to sort of see what the free market can come up with um, is to give it a little bit of, of free reign to, to, pass to go the law, making it come up with things now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, th- so I think that that's, you know, that's certainly one aspect of it. Reputation, I think is another really big, um, you know, uh, uh, concept in the, the sort of the libertarian philosophical world about, you know, how, how things could actually work in practice, you know, in reality in our society. Um, you know, if I know that you're an irresponsible gun owner, you know, by reputation, then I might choose not to do business with you or, you know, let you come into my place of business or what have you. Um, so I think there's a, there's a lot of, of potential ways that, 
I mean, there's an infinite number of ways that we could figure out how to deal with that. I think, you know, my belief, and I think a lot of us believe that the free market will ultimately come up with a more scalable and, and uh, systemic way to do it that also is a, you know, voluntary opt-in scheme that doesn't coerce anyone or, or uh, uh, you know, require violence either in the enforcement of it or requiring people to pay taxes in order to fund government, you know, the regulatory body needed to oversee such a such a scheme. So I, I think it's you know one of those those issues where, you know, maybe a lot of people who haven't thought about it a, a lot think, oh, those crazy gun owners, they just want to go around f- shooting their guns in the air. And it's like, actually, I mean, it's I mean, sure, shooting guns is can be fun. If you've never tried it, I definitely encourage you to at least try it so you know, kind of know what you're talking about. But it's also one of those things where if you pick it apart a little bit and apply this sort of libertarian philosophy to it, um, it it's a really interesting case study about you know what we believe, why we believe it, and what we envision could be a a more peaceful and more prosperous future uh, doing it the way that we're proposing. And to bring that all back, that's really the mission of the Free State Project is to say, hey, what if we had this small little area where we could actually implement some of these policies that rely more on the free market and and voluntary, you know, individual voluntary, you know, charity in, ca- in, in some cases to help people uh, and innovation to come up with solutions to these problems of how does a society, you know, organize itself. If we can figure out how to do that in this one little area, we can act as something like a you know little laboratory to have this experiment, so that then other people can look at it and go, oh, see what they're doing in New Hampshire. Uh, it seems like it's working. Maybe we should do that here. All right. Well, one thing I get a lot on the gun thing is, uh, man, I just don't get why some people just love guns so much that they're willing to allow all these people to die, which is just such a you know, in many ways, very just basic argument that really isn't based on anything. But you know, for me, it's when I hear that, I think, you know, you the presumption that because I support gun rights and individual rights means I love guns, and, and that's all my reasoning. I grew up in a very pro-gun household, but I don't really love guns that much. It's not really a big thing for me. I, you know, I own one for, for personal safety in the home, but I, it has, my love for guns and, like, enjoying guns has very little, if anything, to do with my support for gun rights. I mean, almost nothing to do with it, to be quite honest, because I, while I do like going to shoot a gun, there's, like... 50 things I can think that I would do that are more fun to me. So like fun has nothing to do with it, but it seems to be one of the things that people seem to focus on a lot as if it's just because we, we like flailing guns in the air and, and it's not a, a vital tool for defending the, the life of yourself and your family. Right. Well, you get into that same issue with things like free speech or gay marriage. It's like, I can be right. for gay marriage, not being gay, but, um, and even be, you know, quite a, you know, ardent activist for that. Um, because it's something that you know everybody ought to have the right to do and not be coerced by the state to not do that um, when that activity you know isn't hurting anyone. And of course, the vast majority, vast, vast, vast majority of gun owners don't hurt anyone, um, or, or or even more than that, you know they use it uh, defensively, um, you know, in cases that are rarely reported. I suspect. Sure. I mean, no one hears about the mass shooting that didn't happen. Right. You know, that was stopped. That where someone's not newsworthy. This stuff happens all the time where, you know, somebody has a gun, is in an area, gets shot by a quote, good guy with a gun. They do exist. 
and then there's no mass shooting. Well, that's not reported, you know, as a mass shooting. It's reported as a whatever it is, you know. Uh, it might even be reported as, as a mass shooting with with some of the new definitions I see from people nowadays. Because now I hear I heard something like there's 270 something mass shootings this year already, which is only true if you really, really, really change the mass shooting to down to you know include a whole lot of events which have nothing to do with the event in Las Vegas or the the pulse shooting, the kinds of things that you really would consider a mass shooting. Um, now it's lumped in with you know very sadly everyday events. I mean, any violent act like that is wrong. But you know, if a couple people in a group get into an argument and some people get shot, that sucks. But that's not the same as what happened in Las Vegas. That's not the same as what happened at in Pulse. Right, and and Las Vegas probably isn't the greatest um, you know example for this, but you know, Pulse certainly you know could have been. Um, which is a lot of these mass shootings seem to happen in jurisdictions where carrying a, a, a you know a concealed firearm isn't either isn't flat out, isn't legal or is is definitely discouraged through you know not having you know shell issue status yeah, I mean, it somewhat applies there. Not not as much because uh, Las Vegas does have, uh, I guess, what some of my liberal friends would call lax gun laws. I just call them more reasonable. Uh, but the the hotel, Mandalay Bay, I mean, those hotels are gun-free zones. So, I mean, yeah. you're, you're, we're still kind of showing that gun, calling something gun-free, whether you write it uh, down on a piece of paper and legislate it or not, does not prevent guns from entering into the premises. If anything, it gives, it gives a, sort of a target area where it's a lot safer for the gunman to go in because now he knows well, no one's at least no one in this area is going to be shooting back at me. Right. And of course, I don't know if other people have that, you know, that thought process of like, OK, so you're carrying your gun and you're in the hotel room next door and you hear all this going on. You know, what do you do? Can you help? I don't know. So I think that's it's I, I think we're going to find out some things about this whole Las Vegas thing that are going to make it a really interesting tactical case study. It doesn't seem like it's sort of the common uh, you know, textbook way that these things normally happen. So. You know, I think far more often what happens is that, you know, a family is getting out of the car, uh, you know, at the gas station or something and somebody approaches them and one of them has a gun and whoever it is backs off and that's the end of it. You know, right. It doesn't and happen. You never hear about and it. You never hear about it because they think, oh, OK, well, that was close. They don't call the police because they don't want to deal with it. And. That's the end of it. So, and I, I personally know family members. I'm not going to name them on air, but I personally know family members that have have had that happen to them in life, uh, where they were in a, in a threatening situation, pulled out their gun, never used it, but just to show the aggressor, look, I have this. You don't want to do this, and uh, on multiple occasions, it it did save a life potentially. I mean, who knows what would have really happened? But you're, you, that's the whole point. You never really know, and you're right. you're never gonna know that you didn't that you know that somebody wasn't going to die or was going to die if X. You know, if, if they didn't have a gun or did have a gun, we right. just can't. We can never know that. And and I think you know that's part of the sort of libertarian vision of it is if we can just get enough people who are doing that, you know, there there's there's sort of like a herd immunity that gets bestowed on everybody, right? Because once you hit a certain percentage of the population that that is capable of doing that, the kinds of criminals who who prey on people, you know, in that way, are just going to give up. They're going to say uh, it's just not worth it. I five out of the last 10 people I just tried to approach, you know, basically pulled out a gun on me. I, I'm going to go try to find something different to do. Maybe I should just get a job after all. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's what, I mean, I think that's part of the, to get into a different area of, you know, libertarian thought. It's like, okay, so, you know, for all of these guys, uh, and most of them are guys, um, you know, who are undertaking all this crime because it, it, they get away with it. And they don't, you know, they, uh, in many cases, 
don't have really good viable alternatives, right? Especially if they've already been, uh, you know, convicted of a crime, uh, it makes it that much harder to have a job. What if there were a better way to get these people the kind of, you know, actual deep long-term assistance they need in order to, uh, you know, get job training or get cycle, you know, uh, counseling so that, uh, you know, whatever it is that drives them to do that, they can get it under control. They can find a productive, uh, you know, job that they can work at, um, and they can actually start building up a real life. I would love to see really innovative and and creative uh, solutions coming forward by, you know, people who are voluntarily stepping forward to support that kind of charitable work. Um, and I think that that is, uh, you know, again, the kind of free market solutions that we don't see because there's this 800 pound gorilla who claims basically a monopoly on, you know, taking care of people who need help, be it, you know, because of, of crime or healthcare or poverty or drugs. Um, and it crowds out all of the other solutions, even though it's a terrible solution. And Matt, one more thing I want to uh, talk about before we wind down here, uh, as I mentioned towards the beginning of the show, uh, you did actually hit the trigger, the trigger of 20,000 people last year. I believe it was February 2016 when that trigger was hit. So yep. I'm kind of curious, you know, how many people have you spoken to since then about moving? Uh, how many people have actually moved up there? Well, what's been the progress on that front? Because I believe it's a five-year window, you said, that everybody is supposed to move. Everybody that has pledged is supposed to move in that, in that time span. So well, give us a little update on that. So we've talked to um, quite a few people, really, about it, including uh, you know a good percentage of the twenty thousand people who signed up. Um, obviously, some of them signed up you know ten plus years ago, and uh, you know they're now pretty embedded in another place with a family and a career and all of that. And maybe it doesn't make sense for them, but new people are signing up all the time, and we've got um, just over twenty one hundred people who've moved already. Uh, you know, starting from before that the, we triggered the move and continuing uh, at a slightly faster pace after. And obviously another, you know, another, well, it's actually more like another 20,000 that have signed, have pledged to move, um, you know, within that, well, now a four-year window. Uh, interestingly, there's also about um, about 2,500 people who already lived in New Hampshire who signed a version of the pledge that basically said, you know, we're already here, but welcome. Um, so... In terms of number of, of free staters that are actually here on the ground, moved or already lived here, it's about four four thousand forty five hundred, and uh, you know, like I said before, it, it just makes for this really amazing community, which is difficult to really wrap your head around until you come visit. So, to anyone who's out there listening to this, um, please, you owe it to yourself, to your family, to your kids to come and try and visit us uh, during one of our big annual events that's coming up like Liberty Forum in February or Pork Fest in June, or at really any other time of the year, there's libertarian meetups going on um, basically every day, somewhere in the state. Um, send an email to help at fsp.org and we'll get you connected to, uh, to, to somebody who can show you around and you can have a beer with and get, get a good lay of the land and understand what this community is all about. All right. Well, Matt, it's certainly been a pleasure. This is a subject uh, that we do get a lot of questions about the Free State Project uh, in our forum, the Lions of Liberty Forum, our, our group on Facebook, as well as our, our secret group for the Lions of Liberty Pride members who send our, some questions our way, which uh, you actually answered all of the questions that I had in, in the course <laughs> of the interview. So it's good that you've, you've got all these, uh, all these talking points out there, because I'm sure you get these questions uh, a lot, especially as, as the current face of the FSP. So I certainly wish you guys a lot of luck. And if, if Roger Paxson has his way, maybe I'll see you next year at Porkfest. <laughs> I look forward to it. Can't wait. All right, Matt, keep up the great work. We'll talk soon.
Thanks. You too, Mark. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation there today with Matt Phillips, president of the Free State Project. I know this is a subject a lot of newer listeners have wanted to hear about, so... You ask and you shall receive. And thanks to members of the Lions of Liberty Pride that put out some questions for Matt. I didn't actually do a separate bonus segment today because Matt is so damn thorough that he actually answered pretty much all the questions that Pride members put out there. But thanks to Blaine Stansel, Marty Milligan, uh, Roger Paxton, Phil Sertum, who all put out some questions there for Matt. And uh, I know that you pretty much got them all answered. So good job, Matt. And just like Matt Phillips, I've been a little bit under the weather myself this week, so we're going to try to wrap this one up pretty quickly, but I just want to remind you guys, of course, I am not the only lion here in the Liberty Den. We give you three distinct shows every single week. Of course, myself, Mark Clare, bring you great interviews every single Monday. Sometimes some fun roundtables in our Libertarians in Living Rooms drinking liquor segments. And then on Wednesdays, Brian brings you his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty with Electric Liberty Land while John Odermatt wraps things up every single Friday with his look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. And like I said, that's not even including all the additional random podcasts that you get by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. Again, as little as five bucks a month gets you access to all of our exclusive audio content. We're uh, rapidly nearing close to 50 extra podcasts that we've done so far this year. So we really do put in a strong effort to make sure that the people that support this program and help us grow this show are getting a lot of content for their value. So for as little as five bucks a month, you get access to all the content we've done. And for more, for 10 bucks a month, you can get a free t-shirt, 25 bucks a month, you get a couple free t-shirts, a huge discount on all our merchandise, which you can find over at lionsofliberty.store, as well as a monthly conference call where we really have a lot of fun. It's basically like an an unaired edition of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, so we have a blast with that. We get a lot of great feedback directly from our our highest level of supporters that way, so many ways you can support us. Check it all out over at lionsofliberty.com slash support. And one more thing I want to mention to you guys, now that you're done with this episode, I just did a really cool interview with uh, a guy who was just on the show a couple weeks ago on Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, a former co-host of Part of the Problem, current host of Mike Adelic with Mike Brangatelli on his program, Mike Adelic. I did an hour or so long interview that was really, honestly, one of the most fun interviews I've ever done. I uh, really went out of the box on a lot of different subjects, a lot of things I don't really get into on this podcast because it's not completely a liberty show. It's about a lot of different things. It's about cognitive liberty, really, and uh, freeing your mind in many ways. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy that So I will link to that in today's show notes. As soon as it is published, I believe it should be out Monday or Tuesday of this week. So you'll be able to find that over at lionsofliberty.com slash 316. And until next time, live long and live free. <laughs>